When my nephew was a little boy, my sister, um, as parents do, you're always trying to coach your kids in life and things that they're trying to figure out. And she was trying to help him understand sharing. And he might have not been doing a great job of sharing. So one of the things she said to him is, you can't be greedy. But he looked at her really confused because he didn't know what that word was. And he said, so what's greedy? And she said, greedy is when you have lots and lots of stuff and you just keep it for yourself. You don't want anybody else to have your stuff. And he looked at her really, really puzzled. And then he said, I like greedy. You know, it's kind of cute when you're uh, a little kid. That's kind of been the, the joke around our family. If there was anybody doing anything that looked greedy, that was always just what we said. Uh, do you like greedy? Well, I want to pose that question to you. Do you like greedy? And maybe, maybe I'll, I'll just be even more direct. Are you greedy? Or maybe even let me flip the question around a little bit. Would you describe yourself as generous with all that God has given you. Well, what we're gonna talk about today, because Jesus and the scriptures talk about it over and over again, is what does generosity look like? How do we break that cycle of greed that might be in our life if we're one of those people that say, I like greedy? And I know what happens, because just about every time that we talk about generosity or giving around the church, somebody will come up to me and they will say, you're not gonna believe, I had this friend that I've been inviting to church for 10 years, 20 years, and they finally came and you talked about money. Let me just say, there's lots of times that we don't talk about money around here. But I'm also gonna say this, I'm not ashamed to talk about money and generosity because Jesus talked so much about money. But here's what I want you to hear loud and clear. Jesus does not want your money. Jesus wants you. But what Jesus also understands is that in our life, we can have that little thing called I like greedy in us. And the only way that we're ever gonna break the power of greed in our life is if we learn to be generous people. And now I understand why people cringe when they hear churches talking about generosity. And I've been in audiences where I've listened to people talk about generosity and I've cringed myself because sometimes I don't think people talk about it in the right way. I've sat there and listened to people do what I would call twisting of arms. Like we're trying to guilt and shame people to do something, to respond in a certain way. Maybe we just feel like the church needs to meet their budget or we're in some kind of a crisis and you need to do something to respond. I just wanna let you know that we are doing just fine as a church. We are not in crisis. We're not talking about this because something is wrong. We're talking about it because it matters to Jesus. And Jesus wants you to understand why he would want you to be a generous person. He never, Jesus could have, but he never leveraged guilt and shame to get people to do anything. He leveraged love. He leveraged vision for what life could be like as we start to live within the values of his kingdom. He leveraged things like gratitude. He wants us to understand love and gratitude and vision for a different kind of life to motivate us to be generous people. And there's sometimes I've watched people, what I would, not arm twisting, but truth twisting 
even, where they would say things to try to get people to do things with their resources that I don't believe were rooted in truth. Things like, God will love you more if you give more. Or things like, if you give more, God will give you more financial blessing. I don't know and believe that those things are true. Maybe, but the scripture, and what I feel like people are trying to do is they're trying to leverage that greediness in us to try to say, oh, if, if I give more, then I'll get more. Leverage greediness to try to get us to do something. We're not gonna do any of that today. I want to promise you, because Jesus does not want your money. Jesus wants you and he wants your heart, but he knows that our hearts need to be free from this thing called greed if we're gonna experience everything that he wants us to experience. So here's my ask. Over the next 30 minutes, would you just, would you just give me the benefit of the doubt that I don't have any ulterior motives and the only thing that I desire is that you would hear from Jesus, that the Holy Spirit of God would move in and through your heart, that you would hear from him because there's something that he wants to do in your life. He wants to bring freedom into your life. Would you just trust me that that as a, at a heart level is what I'm trying to accomplish over the next 30 minutes. And like I said, I'm not gonna apologize about talking about generosity because Jesus talked about generosity over and over again. And when you look at his life, he, he never was one that tried to accumulate, even though he talked about money more than any other topic, he never tried to accumulate it. In his three years of ministry, it wasn't like he was trying to get a, a war chest together. You never saw him collecting money, but he wants us to understand that if we're gonna experience the generosity that he has for us, we need to learn how to be generous people over and over again. Not only does he call us to generosity, he warns us about greed. He understands how greed can grab a hold of our heart and rot our soul, and he does not want that for us. But here's a part of why I believe he talked about it so often, is that greed is incredibly subtle. Greed can be deep within our life. And what's interesting about greed is if there's no like behavior that is just obvious that we're greedy. Like we can look at sexual immorality, we can look at adultery, we can look at lying and stealing and gossip, and there's just observable behaviors that's like they're obviously sinning in those ways. Greed, not so much. There's this spectrum between generosity and greed. Where in the world is the place that God wants me to be? How do I know if I'm sinning in that area? And for us to be able to do what Jesus wants us to do is gonna take a lot of work and introspection. We're gonna be willing, have to be willing to open up our heart and our life and just to be honest before God and let him speak into it. Where am I at? with this thing called greed. I love how Tim Keller said it in his book, Counterfeit Gods, in reference to greed, he says this, Jesus warns people far more about greed than about sex, yet almost no one thinks they are guilty of it. Therefore, we should all begin with a working hypothesis that this could easily be a problem for me. If greed hides itself so deeply no one should be confident that this is not a problem for them. Can we just all just humble ourselves right now and be open to the fact 
that this can and could be and likely is an issue for all of us. Here's the deal. Here's a little bit more on why I believe that greed can be so deceptive. It's because we have this mindset oftentimes that greed is for rich people. It's the rich people that have the problem with greed. And the truth is, is that none of us feels like we are the rich ones. Even though, get this statistic, 31% of the wealth of the entire world is located in the United States of America. Friends, we are rich people. And here's what I know is going through the minds of many people. You're saying, oh yeah, we have a lot of wealth in this country, but not me. I'm not one of them. Statistically, when you ask people, are you in the lower class, middle class, or upper class? Do you have any idea how many people identify themselves as in the upper class or rich? 2%. That tells me that nobody thinks in our world that they are the rich one. Nobody. Because here's what happens. No matter where we're at on the economic scale, there are always people that have more than us. And we look at them and we say, that's who's rich. They're the ones who have to wrestle with greed, not me. Here's the case I'm trying to make. Nobody thinks they're greedy because nobody thinks they're rich. But in reality, every one of us, every one of us struggles with greed. It doesn't matter how poor you are, or how rich you are, or anywhere, anywhere in between, we all wrestle with that insatiable craving in us that says, I like greedy. And what Jesus wants us to understand is for us to break that in our life and to break that in our heart, we've got to learn how to let go and be generous people with the things that God has given to us. To unpack this topic, we're gonna look at an actual relatively large chunk of scripture from 2 Corinthians, two full chapters, eight and nine. I'm not gonna have an opportunity to teach through all of it at one time. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take some time this week, three times at least, read those chapters. Read those. Let God speak to you from his word about the topic of generosity. But I wanna give you just a little backdrop to what is happening in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. This is Paul writing a letter to the church in Corinth, and he's writing to them and telling them about these other churches in Macedonia. These churches were poor, they were oppressed. The Roman government was taking almost all of their money, but out of that poverty, out of that persecution was welling up this extreme generosity. And now Paul is also writing to this church in Corinth, And in general, they were a wealthy church. They had means, and they were also a Gentile church. And Paul is urging them to be generous, to give of their wealth, to help other Christians, specifically Jewish Christians, that were being persecuted in and around Jerusalem and around the ancient Near East at that time. Paul is calling them to generosity, and he's pointing to the example of these Macedonian churches. And from these two chapters, what I want to do is I just want to pull out five principles that I think are important, that give us a picture of what generosity is. If if we just talk about this spectrum between greed and generosity, Paul's gonna help us understand what needs to be true of our life if we are actually moving toward generosity. Here's what the scriptures say. 
Generosity is first, it's cheerful. 2 Corinthians 9, the very end of verse 7, Paul just simply says, God loves a cheerful giver. I'll say this over and over. Generosity starts, it starts with the heart. What is happening in your heart around generosity? Paul just simply says, it's cheerful. We're not generous because someone stood on a stage and made us feel guilty. That isn't what makes us generous. That's not the heart. It's not that we would be begrudging or reluctant, like someone's trying to pry something out of my hands. Nope, that's not the heart either. It's not a fearful heart that says, I've got to keep this because if I don't keep all of this, there might not be enough for me. Paul's like saying, that's not the heart. The heart is cheerful. We give out of a sense of joy, give out of a sense of an opportunity to get to bless the lives of other people. And here's what Jesus taught over and over again. There's something about how our heart is actually connected deeply to how we handle our resources. Here's what he said in the Sermon on the Mount, one of his most famous sermons. He said this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He just said, if you wanna, you wanna know what's important to you, you wanna know what your heart values, you wanna know what you love, where do you joyfully see your resources go? That's what you love. And Jesus wants us to love him, wants us to love his kingdom, wants us to value the things, not just of this earth, but the things of forever. That's why when Jesus speaks about generosity, it always starts with the heart. What is happening in the interior of our life? But as we're gonna see, it's not just about the heart because the right heart eventually moves to the right actions. What are the things that he wants us to do? How do we live out generosity? What does it actually look like? Paul first says, generosity is proportional. It is proportional to what we have. This is how he described it. He said, now finish the work. And that work is this generous gift that, he's, that they have said that they want to give to these struggling believers, these Jewish believers. He said, now finish the work so that your eager willingness, meaning their eager willingness, they have the right heart, to do it may be matched by your completion of it. He said, follow through. How do you follow through? According to your means. For if the willingness is there, the heart's there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Here's one of the myths about generosity. Sometimes in our mind, we think that it's just the amount of our generosity. It's like how many zeros are behind our generosity? And Jesus is saying it's not the amount that counts. It's proportional to what we have. When Jesus told a story about the most extravagant gift of generosity, it was like two little pennies given by a widow. There were other people that were giving massive amounts of money. And he said that didn't even matter. The beautiful thing that happened was two pennies because it was everything she had. It was sacrificial giving. It's not about the amount that counts. It's about our heart and responding in proportion to what we have. And now in light of that, I also want to share another myth about generosity that I've heard over and over again as people have talked about wanting to get started on their generosity journey. But they usually will say things like, I want to give or I want to give more when I have more, I will 
give more. And I, intuitively, that makes sense. Like, we, if we have more, we're, God, we have the ability and the opportunity to be able to give more. But it is so interesting to me. Statistically, it doesn't add up. It's not what we see. You would think that as income rises in our life, our generosity as a proportion of our income would increase. But it actually does just the opposite. The curve goes down. We become less generous as we have more. And when you look statistically around the most generous people in our country, as it relates to a percentage of their income, it is the poor among us. They are the most generous. Don't believe that someday I'm gonna become generous. So here's my challenge, start today. Start doing something with your generosity. Don't imagine that it's just gonna happen one day because you have more. Start your generosity journey. Start asking God, what could it be like for me to give, maybe I just have very little, but God, in, in proportion to even what I have, what could I do to honor you with everything that you've given me? God, where am I at today and what is it that you want me to do? Start that vertical conversation with him because our giving, generosity is proportional to what we have. And secondly, Paul's gonna tell us that our generosity is intentional. Here's what it means. It means that we have a plan around our generosity. It's not just haphazard and spontaneous. Here's how Paul describes it. Nine verse six. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And here he says it. Each of you should give what you have decided. You should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under, under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What Paul is describing here is what I like to call around here that vertical conversation, that we're engaging with God and we're making a thoughtful, conscious, intentional decision about what generosity will look like for us and for our life. We actually have a plan and a purpose around how it is that we're gonna to move toward generosity in our life. Generous people have that vertical conversation over and over again. And here's what I've noticed. Here's what I've seen in people that I've observed that are generous. There's a mindset that they have about the money that they have that is this. They don't see themselves as owners of the money that they have. They see themselves as managers of the money that they have. They believe in their heart of hearts, all of this belongs to God. He has entrusted it to me. It doesn't belong to me, but he's asked me to manage it. And that's why I've got to ask him about how it is that he wants me to manage it. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the financial planners and the financial advisors and thinking about even my own financial advisor. He is the manager of my money. My money does not belong to him. And in fact, if you are a financial manager and you start treating that money like it belongs to you and spending it like it belongs to you, you will not be a financial advisor very long. You've got to understand it does not belong to you. And if I were to send a big check, I don't have big checks, but imagine that I did and I sent it to my financial advisor, he would not look at that and say, Merry Christmas to me, look at what I've got. 
If he didn't know exactly what it was that I wanted to do, he would immediately get on the phone with me and just say, Bob, I've got this check from you. What do you want me to do with it? That's what a financial planner does. They manage our money. That's a picture of what God wants us to do with what he has given to us. God, how do you want me to manage your money? Otherwise, it was, it almost felt like a little wink from God to me. I was right in the middle of preparing this and thinking about this and even thinking about my financial advisor and immediately a text pops up on my phone from him. And I thought, well, this is ironic. I open it up and it was just simply, hey, Bob, it's the end of the year. What do you want me to do in terms of giving, moving? What do you want me to do with your money? And I'm like, that's the picture because he knows it doesn't belong to him. He doesn't do anything with the money until he's talked to me. That's what God wants us to do, to see us as managers of all that he's entrusted to us, asking him the question, God, what is it that you want me to do? That's the very first question that any financial advisor, if you've ever had one of those appointments, they don't come in and say, this is what I'm gonna do with your money. The first question they ask you is, what are your goals? What is it that you want to accomplish? And it's their desire, it's their heart to help us reach those goals. It's the same with God. We go to him and just say, what matters to you most in this world? And how do you want me to leverage my money and my time and my talents to be able to invest in the things that matter, not only for this world, but for all of eternity. God, what matters to you? They're constantly having vertical conversations with God because we want to be intentional, that we're able to do what it is that God has asked us to do. Fourth thing that Paul talks about, generosity is sacrificial. It's sacrificial. Here's how Paul describes it. I wanna remind you again, he's referring to these churches in Macedonia that gave these incredible, generous gifts. And here's what Paul described in terms of their sacrifice. He says, in the midst of severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Extreme poverty under incredible trial. It doesn't seem to me like the fruit of that would be generosity. You'd think it'd be like, come help us. We're in trouble. This is amazing that that is what is coming up out of the hearts of these people in the Macedonian churches. And here's how Paul continues. He said, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded, pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. I don't know if that's me. I don't know if that's how I would respond. Cheerful, joyful, in the midst of extreme poverty and trial. But here's the deal. If our generosity is not sacrificial, it's not generous. Here's what I think is the best working definition of what does it mean to be sacrificial? Sacrificial means that if we give in a way that doesn't in any way affect our lifestyle, it's not generous. If there's not things that we have to learn to say no to in order to, to say yes to being generous, it's not 
sacrificial. It needs to change something in us. If we're just simply consuming all the resources that come our way and there's little or nothing left to give to other people, it's greedy. Or even if if we're consuming and saving, which is important, but there's nothing left over to give to others, it's greedy. That may sound harsh, but I believe that it's true. The scriptures would tell us, unless it's sacrificial, unless it changes the way we live our life, it's not sacrificial. It's not generous. When I was thinking about this, um, just thinking about how grateful I was for the first 20 years of my life in ministry, I had the chance to work with a college ministry called Crew. And for us to be able to eat and sleep indoors, I would, we relied as a family on the generosity of people, people that would give to us so that we were able to do the ministry that God called us to. And this gave me the opportunity to have a, a front row seat to watch people's generosity and generosity toward us. There was one, it was, it was not long before Christmas and there was an, a significant need that Carmen and I had in our life. And we just, we just let these people that were, were, that were generous toward us know what our need was. And there was a response that came from this one family that I'll never, I'll never forget. I still, dang it, I still can't talk about it without choking up. There was a family and we got a card with an incredibly generous gift in it, but they described like how they had had that vertical conversation. They felt like God was saying to their whole family, like all the money that we would spend on gifts for one another this Christmas, we want you and your family to have it. Do you know how humbling that is to receive a gift like that and know that there is a family with little kids that made a decision, we're gonna go without Christmas presents this year because we want to be generous. That changed their lifestyle. One of the beautiful things about that is one of those little kids grew up to be a college student and I met him when he was a college student and he shared with me that that was just like one of their best Christmases ever. That they had the opportunity to sacrifice for the sake of other people. He never forgot it. That's what generous is. That's what sacrifice is. And what was challenging for me to even receive that gift is I wondered, would I do that for somebody else? Would I do that for somebody else? I don't know. But to watch that in the lives of other people was such a model. I just thought, I want to be that kind of person. God, I want to grow into being that kind of person who's willing to be sacrificial with my generosity The last thing that Paul talks about is that generosity is continual. And when I say continual, I mean is always growing. None of us has arrived. Here's how Paul describes that, 8-7. He says, since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this gift this grace of giving. What Paul's trying to say is that we always grow. We always excel. We're never done. I'm not done. You're not done. We as a church, we're never done. We're always having that vertical conversation with God. God, what's next for me? How do you want to stretch me in my generosity so that greed has no place in my heart? That conversation never 
stops. Okay, here's our assignment. Here's what I know to be true of Jesus is that he wants you to be generous and he's gonna stretch you in becoming generous. And for some of you, that might just be, I'm gonna start being generous. I'm gonna start my generosity journey and giving to others. But for some of you, it's like I've been doing this for a long time. I believe what Jesus would wanna do is to stretch you and to grow you, to excel still more. We just gotta take the next steps. We don't imagine that we're gonna get in shape before we start exercising in order to get in shape. We start exercising first, and that's what I want us to do, is what is exercise? What does steps look like for us growing in our generosity journey? Here's the first part of your assignment, and it's gonna be easy because I already gave it to you. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. I want you to read it at least three times. And here's why this is important to me as your pastor. I don't want this generosity conversation to be a conversation between you and I. That's not the conversation. It is a conversation between you and him. Allow the Holy Spirit of God that lives in you if you are a follower of Jesus who authored this book that can reveal this book to our hearts and our minds. Let him be the one that speaks to you. Don't let it be my voice. Hear another voice about your generosity. Read the scriptures. Allow it to shape and to change your life. And the next thing I want you to do is to simply make a plan. Just make a plan. Make that conscious, intentional decision to move forward in your generosity journey. Here's, I think, a great place to start, and this is my challenge to you. It would be this. Become a percentage giver. This is what I mean by that. Look across all the resources that God entrusts to you over time and say, I'm going to give this percentage of that to kingdom things, to things that matter, not only in this life, but for all of eternity. Maybe start small. I would encourage you to start small. Maybe one or 2%. But here's what I would, you're never gonna miss one or 2%, but at least start. Get started on the journey. And the easiest way that this has worked for Carmen and I, and if you just, the way, I mean, most of our generosity is around here at Journey. That's the biggest percentage. We give to a lot of other things that are out there, but it's just so easy for us to do online recurring giving that every month, like off the top, it's the very first thing that goes out that we get a chance to give to our church because we get to see what's going on around here. We love the things that are going on around here. We're grateful for those things and we want to be generous to that. Whatever that might be for you, just get started. And one thing I'm so grateful for is that this has just been such a generous church for so long that I've got to just watch generosity and see how people do that. I had a conversation with a generous guy around our church one time, and it was his heart not only to be generous, but he wanted his kids and even his grandkids to be generous. And so when he's thinking about this percentage giving thing, he said, every time that I give a financial gift to my kids or my grandkids, I don't care how small they are. I give them two checks, one for 90% and one for 10%. And I say, I want you to decide, how do you want to be generous with that 10%? Who do you want to give that to? He's trying to shape that in the lives of the next generation. I just think that's a beautiful picture of thinking about how to, even when we don't have a lot, do we start thinking about how we can become a percentage giver? And this and this generosity thing, friends, like this is, 
This is a big deal around our church. We say it a lot, that we're thankful that we have a generous church, and we are, but that is one of our core values. It matters to us. We call it uncommon generosity. We want to be generous, not only in our personal lives, but we want to be generous as a church to the world around us. So many times people ask, why is the YMCA built on your property? Well, a handful of years ago when they were trying to build the YMCA, they were having difficulty getting the finances worked out around that. And we just looked around here and we've like, well, we've got land. We've got an opportunity. We can give that to them. People are like, are you crazy? Like the prime piece of real estate on Baxter and Love, on your property, you're gonna give it to the YMCA? Yes, we care about what they're doing. They care about our community. We care about our community. They care about the next generation. We care about the next generation. Let's help them. Let's love and bless the community that we live in. And when I say give it to them, we need to like give it to them. I mean, we get $1 for the next 100 years. I mean, we're not crazy. But we want to be generous. You've seen us talk about Advent conspiracy around here. Over the last handful of years, we have given hundreds of thousands of dollars away to nonprofits that we believe are doing the things that matter to the heart of Jesus, that are feeding the hungry, keeping the cold warm, widows and orphans taking care of them, people involved in sex trafficking. We're doing the things that we think matter to Jesus. And when I say we're doing it, it's you that are doing it. It's not me, but it's because lots of people are making individual generosity decisions that we get the chance to love and to bless the community that we live in. Sometimes people are like, why in the world would you plant a church downtown? Why would you give your money, give your people? Like you're creating a church that's gonna compete with you. That just seems crazy. No, it's not crazy because we believe that investing in that Investing in that, there is a whole nother demographic of people down there. That's a whole different geographic area of our valley. And we believe that God's kingdom can be raised up in that place. We want to be generous. We want to bless it. Does it cost us something? Sure. I mean, if you want to look at it like it has cost us resources. It has cost us people. But look at the gain. Look at what we have to gain. Kingdom speaking. We always, we're always going to make decisions around here through that Lens of uncommon generosity. And here's why we do it. We give generously because he gave generously to us. God gave generously to us. Here's how Paul described it. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. This is the heart of the gospel. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became Poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. What motivates us to be generous? Jesus motivates us. He modeled for us what that is, to have everything, but be willing to give it up so that we could have riches. And we're not talking about financial riches, we're talking about spiritual riches. He gave everything. He gave his life for us. He died a shameful death on a cross to pay a penalty that he didn't deserve. It was our sin that he paid for. And when we look at the cross, we look at his generosity. We receive that generosity. Friends, we've got no other decision to make than we need to be generous to the world around us in all the ways that it means. And that's what we celebrate 
at Christmas. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. He was given out of generosity. There's no way that we can receive that generosity and not come to the conclusion that we need to be generous to others. And that's what we get to celebrate as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today. It's our opportunity to remember that Jesus was rich and he became poor. He died in our place to pay the penalty for our sin. And when we grab that piece of bread that reminds us of his broken body on our behalf and we dip it into the wine or the juice that reminds us of his shed blood for us, we say, thank you. Thank you for your love. We are so grateful. And it's out of that gratitude that we do things for this world out of joy and cheer. We're gonna take an opportunity here to celebrate, but before we do that, I just wanna pray over our communion together. Jesus, thank you for how you modeled generosity beyond what we can even imagine. We come to you today and we receive what it is that you offer, salvation, an opportunity to be right with you because of your broken body and shed blood we receive with great gratitude. And I just wanna pray for anyone in and around our auditorium or listening online that have never bowed their knee to receive the free gift of salvation with Jesus. I pray that you would do that today. Jesus, stir their hearts. Give them the courage to say yes to you, to bow their knee to you to push all their chips in with you, to go all in, in every way with you. And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.